Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, a podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word together. I'm your host, Charles Segwood, and today we continue our journey and our reflections on the book of Jonah. What a very interesting and odd book it is where we last left off. God had approached Jonah and and said, go to Nineveh and tell them to repent. And he said no, and he fled to Tarshish. And God appointed a storm, and then he, and Jonah's response to that was, kill me. And so the people threw him into the ocean, and then God appointed a big fish, and it ate Jonah. So we left off with our hero, as it were. And I say that very lightly, because Jonah's not really the hero of the story at all, but he is the main character that we're seeing throughout this story, and our main character has been eaten by a fish while running from God, and yet God is the one who appointed the fish, which might seem rather harsh until you dig into the context. So we see that he was in the great fish that God had appointed, and and was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And in chapter 2, which is what we're going to look at today, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. He cries out. So Jonah chapter 2 is about Jonah's repentance. It's even more about God's grace than it is about his repentance. Yes, it's about his repentance, but it's about God's grace even more than Jonah's repentance. I want you to notice that Jonah is calling out from the belly of the fish, and he was there because of his own rebellion. He was not there for any outside circumstance or consequence other than he rebelled. He had to be thrown into the ocean. It was God who appointed the fish because Jonah was in rebellion. Yet God sends the fish and he hears his prayers while in the belly of the fish. Now, chapter two presents some interesting questions. Uh, Did Jonah was he alive in the belly of the fish? That is a common held belief. Uh, there is another common belief that he was dead as he was sinking down before the fish ate him. He he's praying this in his mind, and he's he's eaten by the fish and and brought back to life when he spit out. Spoilers again. He spit out of the fish, uh, and he's he's brought back to life to proclaim the message that God had given him, and that would almost make more sense in terms of. Jesus saying, I give you nothing else but the sign of Jonah, which means I'll be in the ground for three days and then I'll rise again, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and he rose again. So there may be a correlation there and there may not be. So did he die or was he alive in the fish? We don't know. Both actually fit the biblical narrative just fine, but we see him crying out in distress. And where do we see that more than in verse 2? He says, I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried from help. I cried out for help from the deep inside Sheol, which is like the place of the dead. And he says, you, God, heard my voice. You threw me into the depths into the heart of the seas. Well, actually, it was the sailors because of his rebellion, and yet he sees that God is active in that because God had appointed the storm. He understands that. He says, says, and the currents overcame me, and all your breakers and your billows swept over me. This is like the judgment of God crashing down on him. But I said, have I been banished from your sight? And yet I will look 
once more toward your holy temple, and the water engulfed me to the neck, and the watery depths overcame me. The seaweed wrapped its wrapped around my head, and I sank to the foundations of the mountains. I mean, he, he's basically thinking, I'm going to die. And he says, then you raised my life from the pit. Lord, my God, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed, salvation belongs to the Lord. He makes a beautiful and a wonderful proclamation, albeit a bit ironic. It's ironic because why is he in the situation that he is in? He is in that situation because he did not want to preach about God's salvation. He did not want to preach about God's mercy. He did not want to tell people that God hears the prayers of sinful people that are in desperate need because he knows God is gracious. And yet he will call out to God, and we'll explore that more later. So Jonah cries out to a holy God from the midst of distress, in the midst of his own sinful consequences. He's sinking down to the depths of the sea. He cries out to God, to a holy God, his God, the God of mercy. If God is as gracious as Jonah knows him to be, How much more, by the way, will he be gracious to the people in Nineveh? So here's the irony. Jonah appeals to God's grace. God, you are gracious. God, I need that grace. It saved me. It raised me to life. But he does not want that same grace that he has received to go to anyone else. That is the challenge for us as we read Jonah. We And and you should automatically probably have people's faces swimming into your mind You have received great, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have received great undeserved mercy and grace, because grace is by definition undeserved, but you have received grace upon grace, and yet you can probably think of people right now in your mind that you don't want that grace to be extended to. Jonah found himself in the same situation. The irony of his beautiful chapter two prayer. He makes great truth claims such as salvation belongs to the Lord, that only the Lord can raise us to life. And those things are very true. People who worship idols worship worthless idols, and they do it in vain. But the people who worship the Lord worship him to life eternal. And those are very important important truths. The irony is he does not want those same truths going to anyone else that he doesn't see fit. And we have received grace. Will we be like Jonah and hold that grace to ourselves? Oh, so it never be. Because God, he knows God will be gracious to the people of Nineveh. See the irony throughout Jonah. And and God is going to send in chapter 3 a plant, and the whole point of the plant is to show the irony of Jonah's position. Uh, God is gracious to his wayward prophet because he hears his plea from the depths, and yet his wayward prophet doesn't want the same grace to the people of Nineveh. If 
if God has given grace to us as wayward people, we ought to give and extend that grace and tell people about that grace who are also wayward because they, because God has called us to do such. They are undeserving. Yes, so are we. But we are called to tell people of the good news of Jesus that is meant to be for all the people, as it says in the Luke 2 proclamation. So perhaps in chapter 3, you might be thinking, we'll see a renewed and loving Jonah. Certainly after this chapter 2 proclamation of him realizing he's wrong, him realizing God is good and God is gracious and that he is deservingly seeking through the bottom and God has redeemed him, Jonah chapter 3 and 4 are going to be Jonah renewed, Jonah restored, Jonah going about the business of teaching people the goodness of God and, and watching God reap the harvest as Jonah preaches the words that God has given him. Boy, that would be a great ending to this book. And it really would have been if it happened that way. Sad to say, chapter 3 and chapter 4 will not go that way. That Jonah, who has just talked about, God, you've restored my life, you've raised me to life, and at the end of chapter 2, he spits Jonah out of the fish. God appoints the fish to spit Jonah out onto the shore near Nineveh, and you would think he would be gracious, and yet he says, God, thank you for raising my life. I still want those people to die. <laughs> and you can't make that up. It's just, it's a rough book. That's what I talked about in, in the first episode of this reflection of Jonah. It's an odd book to deal with because we have to deal with the fact that our main character really just wants these people to die. He does not want to extend the grace that he has received to anyone else. And yet that is his job title to do so. And by the way, we as followers of Jesus, that is our job title. That is what we live and exist to do is to tell people who God is and to make worshipers throughout this world of God and also to worship God ourselves. Don't forget that. It's important. Sadly, Jonah does not get the memo. We need to radiate God's grace to others just as we have received it. We are to reflect God's grace to others. Jonah was supposed to do that. He doesn't. But you might ask or you might say, but they don't deserve it. That person over there, he doesn't deserve God's grace. He doesn't. They're terrible. That's what you might say. But my friend, if that's you, you don't understand God's grace. You're much like Jonah because you you see it as, yeah, I've received the grace, but those people, they don't, they don't deserve it. Failing to see you as well do not deserve God's grace. Jonah was dead. Yet God sustained his life. God could have ended his life and would have been right to do so. The wayward prophet has a lot of truths to speak, even though his, the rest of his ministry in Nineveh is sour, because it's sour in terms of his personality. It's interesting that despite in what we're going to see, I, just, I gave this spoiler right now because it's just too good to let go, that... That here, here is Jonah, and he's sour, and he's just not happy about what God is doing. And, and how does he respond? What does he do with that? He, he goes and he preaches, and he's sour about it, and yet God reaps a wonderful harvest. He brings grace, and he brings mercy, and he brings repentance and renewal to the people of Nineveh. The sad part is Jonah is sour about God's grace. But yet, even as Jonah has a lot of problems, as we all do, 
he speaks a lot of beautiful truths from the midst of his distress, from the bottom of the sea, as it were, spiritually speaking, and maybe even literally speaking. We hear, we see that God hears. So I'm going to give you a few reflections on this chapter. God hears. God hears wayward people. Jonah is wayward. He's wrong. He's in rebellion. He's running from God. He's done nothing to merit God's ear. And yet from the depths of the sea, from the depths of his distress, God hears his prayer and answers it. We see that God is gracious and he's merciful. We saw that in chapter one. We see that again in chapter two, and we'll see it again in three and in four, that God is both gracious and he is merciful because he listens to Jonah. He raises Jonah to life, even though he is not going to do the work of God with a cheerful attitude. He's going to do it regretfully. He's going to do it begrudgingly. And yet God is gracious and merciful to him. And he's gracious and merciful to the people in Nineveh. And he's gracious and he's merciful to you and me and all those who are around us. And we are to tell people about that grace and that mercy. We see also, it is God who sustains our lives. Make no mistake, you do nothing to sustain your life. Oh, but I work out and I eat healthy. That's great. You could kill over dead tonight of a heart attack. It's happened to people before who are extremely healthy and who watch out everything they eat. You cannot sustain your life. Medicine cannot sustain your life. Well, you may say, well, what about the people who are literally sustained by medicine? Well, yes, but that is a grace that is grace of God given to us, that he's given us the knowledge of medicine that sustains our life, that even in that, it is actually God who sustains our lives. He could end them instantly with the greatest of things. I think of guys like John McCain who died of, of brain cancer, and you think he had the best doctors, and yet he could, they could not sustain his life. It is only God who sustains our lives. And we see in Paul, as he reflects on all that God is in, to the Colossians, he says that God, that Jesus moment to moment holds all things together. He sustains our life. He sustains all of creation moment to moment. We also see this, that it is vain to seek help or hope elsewhere other than God. If you're seeking hope from your sins, hope from your lostness, hope from the brokenness of this world, anywhere other than God, it is in vain. And we see that those who seek help from worthless idols do so in vain. And that is true no matter where in the world you live, no matter whether those are physical idols. And I mean, literally physical idols. I live in Taiwan now, and there are literally idols everywhere you go. I mean, statues of gods that people pray to. And yet, they do so in vain. And yet, in America, there were idols of comfort. There were idols of money and, and pleasure and TV and technology. And those things do not offer hope. You look at them and you hope for them in vain. The only hope we have is in Jesus. In verse 5, or let's say not verse 5, I'm sorry, point 5 here, the ref- reflection number 5 is all of which concludes with Jonah proclaiming this. So wrap them all, all these four reflections together with this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it is true that salvation belongs to the Lord alone. Nowhere else is it found or can be found. I'd like to thank you for listening to the Rooted Together podcast. I look forward to joining you in Jonah chapter three next time. I'll see you there.